We are continuing on with our sermon series through Matthew. We have finished chapter 10 uh, and we heard from, from Tim and Pastor Reese and myself, which was Jesus preparing his disciples for going out on a mission. It was also beginning to prepare them for life after his death and resurrection, though they weren't uh, totally clear about that at that point. But Jesus was giving them the instructions, uh, uh, and I think it was Tim that highlighted that this is a short-term mission that, that he was sending them out on, almost as a taster for what he expected them to do uh, after he ascended to heaven. We're coming to chapter 11 now, which we're going to read in a second, and then chapter 12, uh, which we're going to pick up again uh, further down the line. Uh, it's a pivotal part. It's really uh, a part because what happens is now is we're starting to look at the religious leaders rejecting Jesus as a Messiah. They're coming, they've obviously attacked him, they've criticised him, uh, they've said really, we're, we're, he's not the one we're expecting, he's not the one. And so we really come to chapter 12, the next chapter, which is them rejecting Jesus, them saying that he's not the one. Uh, uh, but we're going to stick to chapter 11, both today and next Sunday, uh, because uh, the story here is John the Baptist sending some of his disciples uh, to ask a question. Uh, which we shall read in verse 3 and the verses will come before you on the screen and it says after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee when John who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah he sent his disciples to ask them are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else Jesus replied go back and report to John what you hear and see the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before, before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say he was a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. We have to understand the context once again that the story is written in. There's 20 verses there. He's got a lot to try and get into in the short time that we have. But there are two things happening here. The first one is this. 
Jesus is very unpopular with the religious teachers and Pharisees. That, that's a given. He's very unpopular. They're, they're not laying out the red carpet for him. They're not cheering and supporting, believing he is the one to come. The second thing we must understand about the context, there's an indifference, an apathy towards Jesus by the general population. They're sort of not fussed. They're sort of, well... If he's doing his miracles, yeah, we, we, we can sort of, we're interested. But actually, there's a great indifference by the general population. That sort of apathy of not really, there being much there. They're like, well, we're not too sure what's happening. Because they're probably expecting somebody else. And if Jesus is the king, they're expecting that he reigns over a kingdom. And a kingdom could set people free. We've got to understand the Jews are in captivity. The Romans are holding them prisoners. That's the only way uh, to really describe it. They're holding them prisoners. And they're believing that the Messiah has come really to set them free. Not just to lead a spiritual rebellion in a sense, but a military and a political one as well to clear the Romans out. But that's not happening. And so what John the Baptist does is because he's in prison and we'll explain why he's in prison in a second he sends a couple of disciples of his disciples to ask a question simply are you the one uh, are you the one that is to come or is there somebody else to come after john at this point was languishing in prison and he needed reassurance now there's nothing wrong with great spiritual characters from the bible needing reassurance he says one they're only human and two, if you work your way through the, the characters in the Old Testament that God did a work. I mean, Elijah was a great Bible character and stuff. After he defeated the prophets of Baal, what did he do? He fled into the wilderness. He sat under the tree and he simply said, Lord, take my life. I don't want to live anymore. That was after the great spiritual battle over the prophets of Baal. John the Baptist here has been in prison for, for probably about a year. His disciples are still loyal to him. Now John was in prison because Herod, who was the king over there at the time, had paid a visit to his brother in Rome. He seduced his brother's wife, came home, dumped his own wife and married his brother's wife. Herod's sin was ignored in silence by all the Jewish authorities, but never a moment by John the Baptist. He, he publicly and sternly rebuked Herod's sin. He preached God's commandment without fear never yielding to popular opinion or anything else and Herod simply just had him thrown in the prison or dungeon would be more expecting and John is probably there sitting and he's got plenty of time to think here he's expecting Jesus to bring immediate judgment upon those in Israel who had not repented of their sins John may have expected that judgment to reach his own captor that actually to set him free from the dungeon and the prison that he's in and it might have seemed a bit strange that Jesus had not yet bought that earthly judgment that was expected. For many people of the era that were living, they expected that. There was a misunderstanding of the Messiah coming, that he was going to set people free, uh, both military uh, and politically as well. But that's not happening here with Jesus. 
Uh, and Jesus knew that because it wasn't his plan, it wasn't his mission. And if you read the Gospels, you will see there was another agenda set by uh, other people about who Jesus is supposed to be or what Jesus is supposed to do. Even John 6 verse 13 records and says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. There is this misunderstanding of the ministry of the Messiah in that Jesus' power would mostly be displayed in humble acts of service, meeting individual needs and not always these spectacular displays of deliverance and stuff. And we have to remember that Matthew is writing to uh, the Jewish audience, a Jewish audience, and he's recording Jesus' way of perseverance in doing the small things. Not every day in Jesus' ministry was the crowd. Not every day was a miracle. But there was also always that consistent, persistent moving towards fulfilling the mission that he was sent to do. Because often you would hear uh, and say, oh, well, it would be uh, you know, more miracles and we expect to see this. I said, listen, if you work out the number of miracles that Jesus did and he was in ministry uh, for three years before he went to the cross, he said, this wasn't every day. This wasn't a crowd every day. The feeding of the 5,000 wasn't an everyday occurrence. Though other people had their agenda and they expected Jesus uh, to do that and stuff. Most of what Jesus did, as we've said, is displayed in these humble acts of service. As we've said so many times recently, being interested in the individual. The one who couldn't see, who was blind. The one who couldn't hear, the one who couldn't walk. He said, sure, it would have been easier uh, being the Messiah just to gather the crowd around him. I mean, if we did this today, uh, uh, you know, it would be, listen, let, let, let's get the TV cameras in. Let's make sure we've social media on. Make sure we've got everything that records this so as many people as possible can see it. And yet, Jesus is not really interested in that. It's the individual, the humble acts of service. There were times when it was a crowd and there was a time when it was the individual. There were times when it was a miracle, but there were always times that it was just the reassurance as well to people as he spoke to them, as he shared with them. And, you know, we, we don't know all the conversations that he had with everybody. You know, and as we see this passage here as we work our way through it, you know, Jesus is saying to John's disciples, listen, Go and tell them what, what you've seen. Go and tell them the, the things that have been happening. In verse 4 and 5 is a fulfillment of Isaiah 35 verse 5 and 6. It says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf and stopped. Then will the lame leap like, leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And it's what we've said before so many times about Christ being the fulfiller and fulfillment of all God's promises. Uh, and Matthew addresses that as he writes these and says, actually this is what this is about. He says this is what Jesus has come to do. The other agenda of the political and the military uh, overthrow of those who are holding the Jews captives is not really the essential thing here. The essential thing and important thing is this thing here that Jesus has come to do. He hasn't just come to, in a sense, set the Jewish people free. He's come with a message for the whole world. He's come for something for everybody. And so as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. 
And John the Baptist, we know, has an important ministry because John was God's chosen herald of the Messiah. His ministry was to declare that Jesus had arrived. We know from the beginning, when we did Matthew 3, went back to the baptism of Jesus, that Jesus went out into the desert and he was baptized by John because John was doing a baptism of repentance and people were going out into the desert. It always tells us, and as we've, we look at that story, reminded of the hunger that people had. And it wasn't for some sort of spiritual experience that, that probably they were looking at that would give them a bit. This was a baptism of repentance. The people thought there needed to be something here. There had to be something here for them. And John was bringing the people out. People were going out to John and they were getting baptised. And Matthew 3 verse 1 to 3, once again, is a fulfilment of Isaiah 40 verse 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare for the way sorry prepare the way for the Lord make straight the paths for him John was simply declaring about he who was to come that that was his job and he was coming to proclaim and declare that and shared that with the people and you see John had borne witness of Jesus and now Jesus was bearing witness of John because in the passage we read three things and, and, and Jesus understands what John's uh, purpose was to come and proclaim and declare uh, that the Messiah was coming uh, and so we see three things that stand out for John that help us he commends firstly his, uh, his courage he said he's not like a reed swayed by the wind. There was no compromise of his convictions. He says we live in a world of compromise today. There are things we have to compromise on. There are other things that we should never compromise on. He said, I, I've shared my state, this statement before in a sense. You know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And, and you probably believe everything. And, and, you know, that's so true sometimes, isn't it? You know, actually, the, the courage that John has is simply to make his stand. Uh, and he's not doing it in a sense that, you know, for, for any other reason. That He's just simply doing what God has called him to do. There's no compromise of his convictions. And then we look, the second thing that Jesus commends him for is his consecration, which is, means he's setting apart. Matthew 3 verse 4 says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. wonder sometimes if we should put that on the calling to ministry in church, that you have to wear clothes made out of camel hair. It says, the only description I can have of that is uh, when I was younger, my mum had gave me, bought me tweed trousers. You read tweed trousers, you know, where they're like the itchiest. Ah, they're just, uh, you know, and she made me wear them. It's like punishment for something and stuff. But I can imagine, I, my picture is having to wear these all the time. And, you know, the tweed trousers were like the itchy everywhere. I mean, I got away with it sometimes by wearing pyjama bottoms over the, you know, that's what I did because it was so, and I imagine camel hair would be the same. Uh, and he gives him his diet hair and stuff as he sets apart, he a leather belt round his waist and his food was locust and wild honey, but for all of this, we don't have time to go into it today. It was a setting apart to be God's special person. 
And he was God's special person because he was coming to proclaim and declare that the Messiah is here, that the Messiah uh, has arrived. And so he said, and then the third thing we see is simply this, is calling a messenger who was preparing the way. And that's what John did, he prepared the way. He comes and the assurance that Jesus is giving both to the crowd and John's disciples as they can listen is simply that, that comfort and assurance. Go back and tell John these things. Tell him that, 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 that what the fruit of, of what I've been doing. Uh, but he's commending what John has done as well. You know, and because John uh, gives us some great testimony of who Jesus is. One of my favourite verses, John 1, 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a powerful statement to be said right at the beginning of Jesus going out into ministry that he just simply declares both who he is and what he's going to do. Look here he comes the one who takes away the sin of the world. It says John declares that at the beginning. Uh, further on we see in John 1.32 that John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. A powerful statement there just to say about Jesus. This is his testimony of saying this is who Jesus is. Uh, and possibly one of the greatest ones. Of, and, and, and this, I mean I love this verse. John 3 verse 30. And disciples come and say to John, John's disciples, a fellow Jesus is baptizing more than you. Uh, are, are you not, you know, are you not concerned about that? Uh, does that not bother you? And he just comes out with his statement because he knows his part. He must increase, but I must decrease. Oh boy, he says, listen, for pastors we need that above our door sometimes. You know, a church up the road is getting more people in than you. What? What are we doing wrong? As our social media, as our worship, what's our preaching like? Are they getting more in than us? What does their coffee taste like? What buns are they serving? All of this stuff that we would ask and stuff. And he said, simply we would look at it and say, oh, it's all about what we're doing with church. And John the Baptist hits the absolute nail on their head when God is doing something. He just simply says, yeah, he must increase. I must decrease. Not about us. Not about what we're doing, John the Baptist is saying. John the Baptist knew his role. He knew his purpose. He knew what he was called to do. He could have turned around and said, well, hold on a second. I, I was doing this first. I was out in the desert eating the locusts and dressed in camel hair how dare this young upstart come in here and start telling everybody else this is the way to do it he doesn't do any of that he just makes this great statement he says he must increase i must decrease in other versions he must become greater i must become less and it says so john the baptist has that understanding and testimony of who jesus is and Jesus makes his statement, he says, you know, up until John, all the law and prophets prophesied. And I thought, well, what does that mean? Well, probably this is my best explanation to say it. Under the old covenant, the prophets announced Messiah is coming. 
John the Baptist had the privilege of announcing the Messiah is here. I thought, that's really the statement, isn't it? He says, everybody else is, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. John the Baptist, he's here. He says, this is him. He is here. And it says he is the Elijah who was to come. He wasn't Elijah, but he was the Elijah. And Elijah was representative of the prophets and the transfiguration in Matthew 17. When we did the Bible study on this, we said that Moses and Elijah appeared on the mountain in the story called the transfiguration. Moses represented the law, but Elijah represented the prophets. And Jesus meets them there. Uh, and simply he was not Elijah, but he served in the same spirit and power as him, thus fulfilling the office. Uh, you know, because our understanding of the prophet sometimes uh, can be misunderstood because we, we think it's almost like somebody who's predicting something that's going to happen in the future and there is an aspect of that at times with prophecy but prophecy often is somebody who's just a messenger from God who's delivering the message from God to the people of God uh, and John the Baptist in a sense is, is there in that office and that same spirit and that same power as Elijah. Luke actually is removed out of Matthew. Luke 1 17 says he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. But Jesus comes towards the, 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 the end of what he's saying here and stuff and he addresses the crowd about the generation that they are living in. They're choosy and they're uncertain in both receiving God's messengers and God's message. That's where we've come to in Matthew 12. They've completely rejected John the Baptist in a sense and almost by saying his message is too hard. His message is repentance and then he criticizes Herod so he's been thrown in the dungeon. He says Jesus comes in and he begins to preach a message and though some of the people are picking this up and saying this is the one that we've been waiting for like I said at the beginning there's an indifference people just they just don't care they're just like well, we're not really interested and so there's an uncertainty here not just with God's message but with God's messenger as well and Jesus searches for a comparison to illustrate the heart of that generation of Israel that would be familiar to everyone listening it's important we understand that Jesus used it everyday things to help people understand what it is that he was talking about. And he used this illustration and of children in a marketplace. The marketplaces were the centre of life in a small town, a place of hustle and bustle that attracted adults and children alike. And children's games required role playing. That kids would go out. You remember when you were younger, I mean, we, we lived in the pre-iPad, pre-Xbox, all of that, that we would go outside and play. And, you know, when we were outside, you would play, you know, cowboys and Indians and other things like that. He said, you know, I'm scared to say doctors and nurses because that has a whole other meaning in this day and age and stuff. So he says, but you go out and play, uh, you know, and you would watch Star Wars and, you know, go outside and play. And I still do that, like, but, you know, you would... Uh, you would do this stuff and you would play this role-playing game. And Jesus uses the example here of the kids going out. That one of the children would propose a storyline. The rest of the children would join in playing parts of the story. And even though the story wasn't scripted and kids could play for hours this way, just make it up as you go along, you know, and all sorts of stuff happening. They're using their imagination and stuff. But 
the group understood as they played together the general way that things should be done. But what happened was this, was uh, if you didn't play your part, it sort of ruined the game for everybody else. It's so like when you play football as a kid and the kid who owned the football got called in, that's how you knew the game was over because there was no football to play with and stuff. And so here it's the same thing that, that everybody's playing a part, but if one person doesn't play the part, it spoiled it for everybody. So there was naturally this peer pressure to do what's expected and Jesus used this. Uh, he says, we played a flute and nobody danced. Uh, we sang a sad song and nobody mourned. And Jesus said, nobody did anything. He says, we've come and we've done this and you're not playing your part. Pharisees and religious teachers are not interested. They're getting ready to reject Jesus as the, as the Messiah. The people are completely indifferent. They're simply looking and saying, it's not really what we expected. It's not really the one who is to come what we thought he would do. And you see, they, like the Pharisees, have this hard to criticise. And people always find something to criticise, particularly when the things of God are concerned. You know, revival breaks out somewhere and immediately you'll have a group of people up and, you know, this is God, this isn't God, this is God moving, this isn't God moving. Look at the people attached to that. And you, what you do is you get people working through the things and saying, well, is this God, isn't it? Some people have written it off from the beginning. That's what the Pharisees did. They just wrote it off immediately from the beginning because it wasn't who they expected. And the problem with all of them is this, they had refused to hear God's voice in either John or Jesus the judgment or the joy or the warning or the mercy the good news of the kingdom the arrival of the Messiah it did not fit with their conventions they were not interested so they simply said it cannot be God and so therefore it would not break through the, what they had thought their convictions in a sense the things that they thought should happen that was the problem with the Pharisees and the religious teachers and because they were ruling over the people the people had just got indifferent to it and say well these guys say he isn't that then maybe he isn't and they completely missed what Jesus had come to do they had completely missed what John the Baptist had come to do because they couldn't find God in either of them. They couldn't find the message of God or the, in the messengers of God in, in anything. And you see, we touched last Sunday night on how we make godly decisions. The foundation for anything spiritual is the word of God. The Pharisees were the one people that should have known the word of God. They should have known the Old Testament prophecy of the one that is to come. And they just simply ignored it. You see, often, and I've said this before, if the word of God says go left, the Holy Spirit says go right. I don't believe that's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to people because he never contradicts the word of God. If the word of God says go left, but the leader of the church says we go right, find a new church or find a new leader. And that's where we're at here in the problem here. The Pharisees have come and they're getting ready to reject Jesus. They're no interest in what's being said. And Jesus says something at the end that simply says, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Simply, what is the fruit of what Jesus came to do? The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk. He is proving who he is 
by what he's done the fruit of what he's come to do and you see Jesus says this is just simply said listen if this was just all the words that I was going to say then maybe you should question it but the wise man is proved wise by his wise actions he prays for people and something happens their lives are changed they are set free delivered healed all of that stuff that comes along to him you see what we come to do is we come because my time is nearly up here he says and we've covered this just in a, overall the 20 verses but the key part here is this let's not reject the message or the messengers of God we learn that from this passage here they'd rejected John the Baptist and then they'd rejected Jesus they're coming to reject Jesus let's not reject the message of the messengers because it might just be the people that God uses the people were so blind because of what the Pharisees and the religious teachers were teaching them they missed what God was trying to do in their generation they missed it and the danger for us and the prayer that we have is we don't want to miss what God is doing we don't want to miss if God is speaking through somebody if God is doing something we don't want to miss that in our generation here at Living Hope because the world still needs to hear the greatest message of all that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ which still has the power to change people's lives let us pray Father we thank you today the challenge of your word Lord they come to prepare to reject your son as the Messiah Father we realize by the fruit of the words that we read in your word that he was the one that is to come he is the chosen one and still today he sits on the throne he changes people's lives he delivers people and sets people free we know him by his fruit he went to the cross because he loves us so our guilt could be lifted so we could be forgiven of our sin father is there anything more powerful than that today as we come though they rejected him we accept him we say thank you for everything that he did for each and every one of us in Jesus name Amen